Welcome to this month's special programming series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry, on ReachMD XM157. Low bone mass and depression in women, what's the connection? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a ReachMD special series exploring psychiatry. I'm your host, Dr. Gary Cohn, and joining me is Dr. Giovanni Chitza, who is an MD-PhD clinician at the National Institutes of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Dr. Chitza is with the Clinical Endocrinology Branch, and he and his team recently published an original investigation in the Archives of Internal Medicine, and that investigation is going to be our topic today. We're going to be talking about low bone mass in premenopausal women with depression. Dr. Chitza, welcome to ReachMD, and thanks for taking a few minutes to be with us today. Thanks for having me. Before we talk about your work, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your medical background and and how you got interested in this field, or I guess these two fields. As training, I am an endocrinologist, an adult endocrinologist, and I was always fascinated by how uh, hormones may modulate behavior. And I'm using the word modulate as compared to the word may cause influence behavior because I do believe that we do have a free choice. And I don't want to go into a too general discussion about biological determinism, but we do have a choice. But at the same time, we should listen to our biology because our biology talks quite loudly. And so I was always interested in the connection between hormones and behavior in humans. You say that biology speaks loudly. It sounds like this particular biology, that is uh, the relationship between depression and osteoporosis, hasn't really been talked about too loudly or too often in the literature. Would you say that's an unrecognized discussion or an unrecognized area? It's definitely under-recognized. I agree with your, with your impression. It is quite accepted within a small circle of initiated scientist clinician, that is, people who believe that stress and depression can be regarded as a, an example of chronic stress, may affect also your body. Mm-hmm. However, outside of this relatively small group of investigators, which are uh, typically by mindset quite interdisciplinary, may, may be endocrinologists, psychiatrists, immunologists, outside of this area, within uh, the mainstream, This idea of depression being associated, I'm not even claiming a causal link now, Mm -hmm. but just being associated with osteoporosis has not been accepted. The first paper was published in 1992 by a German group, and then there was another paper published by the group I belong to in the National Institute of Mental Health. That paper was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And then many more studies followed. So far, there are about 17 studies. Most of them are positive. Of course, there is heterogeneity between studies, but The message there is that at least an association between depression and bone mass exists. But if you go to a meeting of bone experts, for example, this is not very much talked about. When you see this list of risk factors for osteoporosis, depression is seldomly there. So I'm very happy that I have the opportunity of doing this interview because maybe I can contribute a little to, to change that wrong perception. The 17 or so papers that are out there or before this most recent paper, were they all fairly consistent in describing this association and, and what was it about that work that led you to believe you could expand on it or might it, might want to expand on it? Well, the studies, as I said, are heterogeneous in the sense that some studied older women or men 
some study the premenopausal women, like my study. So this is not everybody gets osteoporotic if he has depression. So there are some studies that definitely point to this association. We know from the collective wisdom, we know that the, the association is definitely present in premenopausal women and is quite robust. It's about 6-7% difference in bone mass, which for bone mass is a difference of clinical significance. And is present in men, for example. There is a smaller number of studies in men looking at depression and osteoporosis. But in men, the association is there, but the effect seems to be smaller. So you need to look at the literature and recognize that there is heterogeneity also in the way depression was diagnosed. Some studies used a, a more stringent criteria. Some others use self-reported questionnaires. But I would say that overall, these studies definitely point to an association between depression and osteoporosis. Okay, so with that as background, let's talk a little bit about your most recent study. And uh, maybe you could uh, share with us a little bit of your thinking in terms of how you designed it and what methods you used to be sure that you were more rigorous or as rigorous as necessary in defining depression and osteoporosis. When I decided this study, there were many cross-sectional uh, experiments, that is, studies that look at a single time point to a group of women with depression and a group of control, and they, and they compared bone mass. I felt we needed a prospective studies, that is, we needed to follow in, enroll subjects in a controlled experiment and follow them prospectively. So the paper that I published in November, we published in November in the Archives of Internal Medicine, describes the baseline, the baseline characteristics of those subjects. But really, the study that I designed called the POWER study is a prospective study, and the duration was three years. So we wanted to follow these women with depression, were suffering from depression over time, and see whether they would lose bone mass at a faster rate than controls. If these women had a pathological bone mass to start with, we did not want just to follow them. We wanted to do something for these women. So the subset of women who had a bone mass, which according to the current criteria, was considered pathological and in need of treatment, and the magic number we use was uh, minus 1.5 standard deviation from peak bone mass, which is considered osteopenia. We treated these women with with a medication that is known to increase bone mass, and that is uh, alendronate sodium, which is a biphosphonate. So I think the feature of the power study, which is in a way different from the previous studies, of course, the study was possible because there was a first-generation of studies pointing to an association cross-sectionally. And so we built upon that uh, collective important experience to design a prospective study because only in a prospective study you can establish whether there is a causal link between the two conditions. Giovanni, you've been telling us about how you designed a prospective study and how only that is going to be really helpful in talking about causation. Tell us a little bit about your uh, results, what you've concluded from those results. From the cross-sectional results, that is, when we looked at the characteristics of the women who were suffering from depression compared to the controls which were closely matched by age, body mass index, and ethnicity, we saw some interesting things which confirmed previous finding and uh, expanded previous finding. We noticed that women with depression had a difference in bone mass which was more accentuated at the level of the femoral neck. 
And uh, as we all know, osteoporosis is a serious risk factor for fractures, and fractures clinically are more severe if they are at the hip side because there is definitely suffering related to the, to the hip fracture. There is decreased mobility, and uh, in elderly people, there is also an increased risk of mortality when you have a fracture. So the first thing we notice, there is decreased bone mass, and this is more accentuated at the level of the femoral neck. We also looked at some biological factors, namely hormone and cytokine, which we know in animals can cause bone loss. Specifically, we looked at some cytokine called interleukin-6, tumor necrosis factor alpha, and those cytokines are secreted in a cascade. So ideally, you don't want to measure only one cytokine, but you want to measure many cytokines which are functionally related. And we are able to do that in a a small amount of blood because of, uh, of an analytical method developed by a colleague of mine, Dr. Phillips, that allowed to measure many analytes in a small volume of blood. So when we did that, when we looked at many cytokines, I'm talking about 52 cytokines in the same individual measure every hour for 24 hours. The aggregate picture that was evident to us, a very concerning and serious one, and that is in this court of women, which I haven't characterized clinically, but I'd like to add that these were women who had a past history of depression. They were not severely depressed when we studied them. About 90% were taking antidepressants. So we're talking about of uh, a court of women who were mildly depressed. We're not talking about a serious active condition. And yet, in these women, the so-called pro-inflammatory cytokines, the ones that are secreted at the beginning of the the inflammatory response, were highly elevated, including interleukin-6, which is one of the most potent bone-resorptive agent. And, and this is new, the anti-inflammatory cytokines, which are secreted later on in the inflammatory cascade and are basically meant to limit the inflammatory response. And we measure interleukin-10 and 13. Those cytokines were lower in women with depression. So this is a very concerning picture, especially in the light of the fact that mild depression, unfortunately, is quite common. Were you surprised to see the measurements of the pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory cytokines to be as changed as they were? Yes, I was. In principle, we were expecting a change in the immune system secondary to to, to stress. But a change of this magnitude, I think at the beginning we took it with a little bit of uh, healthy skepticism and the assays were run blindly by by the laboratory and then we had to convince ourselves. Do you know if any of those cytokines had been measured in other cohorts of depressed patients before? Yes, of course. There is a large field. However, this is the first time that many cytokines were measured in the same subjects, I would say, and those cytokines were measured every hour for 24 hours, and we looked at also the circadian changes. I mean, we haven't published the results yet, but this is another interesting aspect and, to some extent, novel aspect of this study. Do you think the conclusions that you can come to from measurement of the cytokines is enough of a physiological explanation of a causation, or is that part of the picture? How does it fit? Biology, as we all know, is very complex, and that's why it's so fascinating. So I would be reluctant to point to even a a single class of chemicals. So there may be other factors. We know that cortisol, which is the stress hormone, is involved, although in this particular study we didn't see dramatic changes in cortisol, most likely because cortisol goes up when someone is in the state of depression. And when depression is treated, as in these patients, cortisol usually reverts to normal values. However, 
during episode of, the, of depression, which we may have, have not captured the baseline, cortisol is increased and causes bone loss. So definitely the hormones may play a big role. There is those who do not, I don't want to say believe, but are not very much in favor of this psychosomatic hypothesis of depression. They always point to lifestyle factors. They say women suffering from depression may exercise less, they may have a calcium intake that is not optimal. And so it's not surprising that they may have osteoporosis, but this is caused by lifestyle factors rather than biological factors. So in this study, and this is another important feature of the power study, we did assess as precisely as we could lifestyle factors. We basically went over the traditional list of risk factors for osteoporosis. And surprisingly enough, in this particular cohort of women, we noticed that, if anything, those subjects with depression were as healthy in terms of their lifestyle as the control, if not healthier. So in this particular case, their bone loss could not be attributed to, to lifestyle factors. I want to thank Dr. Giovanni Chitza for being our guest. We've been discussing low bone mass and premenopausal women with depression. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to a special series exploring psychiatry on ReachMD XM157 the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at reachmd.com, register with promo code radio, and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thanks for listening. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, features a special series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry.